What's up, everyone? And welcome to another episode of Shut Up! Keep Going! Yay! I'm Sydney Goodman. I'm Kate Franklin. And today we're going to be talking about some stuff. This is the podcast where we explore our internet curiosities by jumping down that sweet little rabbit hole. That we do. I've said rabbit hole probably six times this week, which just feels like too many. Well, but there's no synonym that I can think of for rabbit hole. I'm sure they were in the right context. I mean, I'm sure. I just don't like the word. It feels trite. Yeah. <laughs> That's all I, I was to... hoping. I was hoping you would co- you would give me an alternate, but you know what? I'll take it. That's okay. fine. Void. The void. The internet void. Well, I just feel like rabbit hole is just so descriptive because you know it's just like almost it brings to mind almost being like at a magic show and you know how they do that trick where they just keep pulling the colorful scarves out of the hat that's what i feel like is a rabbit hole but the opposite way yeah i mean isn't it an alice in wonderland reference i think so i don't really like alice in wonderland i but it feels like something i i should love but i don't I'm with you. I recently rewatched it, mm-hmm. like the old one. Yeah. And I was like, eh. Yeah. Eh. Okay. Well, <laughs> do you want to start or do you want me to start? I don't um, remember where we are in our who starts sort of a thing. So I don't. You start. Okay, I'll start. Uh, so my topic is the 40 hour work week. Oh. Yeah. Um, I don't really have a great story as to why I looked into this I think it's honestly I think it's because Alex and I's like work schedules are so different and Mm -hmm. it's very in your face as we're all working from home right but his is so based on just like oh you know if I have meetings and I'll go it's so flexible and fluid in terms of granted he's like you know high up and doing things and he's been in his career for since he was like 16 so he's like an oldie when it comes to yeah in the workforce still rad though right yeah but it's like he just kind of does his thing and as he needs to he works and sometimes he can just like run to the grocery store and do whatever where i feel like i don't have that flexibility yeah like my schedule's a lot more rigid and so i was kind of curious what's the or why is this why are things the way that they are yeah, I've, I was wondering that when I was working. Oh. Because I would be like, I would, I used to work at a gallery and I, no one else worked there with me. I was just there by myself mm-hmm. and I would work for like three hours and then for the rest of the day, just have to sit there. And I was like, what? Yeah. Like I understood, I guess the gallery made sense because it's like I had to be there in case someone came in, but no one ever came in. And I was like, this is pointless. And then I started to think about, I'm like, I feel like everyone's job is like three hours max. Yeah. Well, I feel like even, I remember when I. That's probably not true, but. Well, I remember when I used to work at Red Bull. I think that that's the thing. And we'll definitely get into this. We'll get into it. But when I, my first job, when I worked at Red Bull, I had like a list of things to do every day. Right. Mm -hmm. And like, if I really jammed through it, I could get that done and like three or four hours. Like it really didn't take that long, but because I knew I had to fill eight hours, I would kind of just like, "Eh," like type it really slow or I'd like kind of look at stuff in between. And I don't know if that makes me a bad, I don't know what that means, but it was just kind of like, I think I'm an extremely efficient person. And so once I was in the job long enough and created processes so that I could just do things as efficiently as possible, 
that's what I would prefer to do, you know, mm-hmm. but then it ended up being this like excess amount of time because I had to be at the office. I digress. So let's start at this timeline, which I got off of CNBC. Um, so in the early 1800s, quote, for nearly 200 years, workers organized or not sought to limit the workday, says Nelson like Tenson, like Liechtenstein, 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 damn it. History professor at the University of California at Santa Barbara. So 18, that's early 1800s, 1817, we have Welsh manufacturer and labor rights activist, Robert Owen coins the phrase eight hours labor, eight hours recreation, eight hours rest, and divides the day into three equal eight hour parts. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Oh. I never that thought about it that way, but that's 24 hours. That adds up to 24. I didn't know so, eight was, you could, okay. Right? So the idea did not take hold in Europe, but it did make its way to U.S. over to the U.S. over the next few decades. And according to Liechtenstein, American workers adopted a similar slogan in the years following the Civil War. So 1866, the now defunct National Labor Union asked Congress to pass a law mandating the eight-hour workday. Their efforts ultimately fail, but it helps to put labor reform on the map. And at this meeting, at this point, people are working much longer workdays than the eight-hour workday. Mm-hmm. So there, people are kind of fighting for a little bit more work-life balance, if mm-hmm. you will. 1867, workers who were, quote, exhausted by 12 to 14 hours a day of work, six days a week, they call for the Illinois legislature to limit workdays to eight hours. And this is all according to Chicago Historical Society. The legislature passes the law, but it contains a loophole that allows employers to contract with their employees for longer hours. In response, on May 1st, a large strike erupts in Chicago, which spreads to other cities across the U.S. and Europe, and that actually became known as May Day. Oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know that either. Want to know something dumb? Yeah. I don't know if this is just Apple phones. I feel like Google does this as well, where it has like a calendar with certain, you know, like holidays or whatever in it, and May Day pops up in mine. And I always just assumed it had, like, to do with war or something. Wait, I was going to say the same thing. I just imagine my grandfather in World War II. Yeah. Like, I just see him I assumed it was some relation to that. Yeah, because I thought, like, May Day, May Day. Yeah, you know, like, no. Oh, exactly. there's an issue. But I guess this is an issue. It's just a different kind of issue. Anyways, skip a few years, and we get to 1926. And the Ford Motor issues... Well, Ford Motor, not like the f- motor in Ford's, Ford Motor being the company, issues a five-day, 40-hour work week for its workers in a newsworthy move by Henry Ford. So Sorry. he... No, go ahead. So the, the May Day celebration was about just eight-hour workday in general, but not how many days a week? No. So in 1867, May Day actually marks this strike where people are upset by the loophole. So, sorry, let me re-explain that. So okay. in 1867, people were exhausted by the 12 to 14 hours, six yeah. days a week, which is so much. God. And so then they call for legislation to pass something that limits the workday to eight hours. But the way that it's written contains a loophole that allows, quote, employers to contract with their employees for longer hours. And that's, that quote is from the Chicago historical society. 
Um, and so I would imagine that probably looks like something like forced overtime. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. and so that upsets a bunch of people and there's a strike on May 1st, which is May day. Um, and I skipped a bunch of steps. I guess I'll read them in 1969. Um, president grant issues a proclamation that guarantees, huh? 1869. Yes. That guarantees an eight hour workday without a decrease in pay, but it only applies to government workers. Oh, I don't know why I skipped these. These are important facts. Um, and then from the 1880s to the early 1900s, there's a movement to reduce a worker standard hours, um, which continues to grow. And in 1898, the United Mine Workers went an eight-hour day. And by 1905, the eight-hour workday was more common practice in the printing industry. Okay. So at this point, by the time um, Henry Ford kind of issues this five-day work week, 40-hour work, five-day, 40-hour work week, uh, the United Mine Workers have an eight-hour day, and the printing industry more or less has an eight-hour day. Um, I don't have any, honestly, until you made the distinction between six days a week or five days a week. That's okay. I That's okay. didn't really look into when that came about, like if when the United Mine Workers and when the printing industry kind of adopted this, if they adopted the hours but not the days of the week. Yeah. But regardless, 1926, five-day 40-hour work week, Henry Ford. And he says in a statement he wrote, quote, it is high time to rid ourselves of the notion that leisure for workmen is either lost time or a class privilege. So, Aww. yeah. That's great. So then um, 1937, auto workers from General Motors strike at a plant in Michigan um, protesting working conditions, and there's negotiations uh, that ultimately help reduce worker hours. And then 1938, political pressure continues to mount. On June 25th, Congre Congress passes the Fair Labor Standards Act, which limits the work week to 44 hours or 8.8 .8 hours per day. And then 1940, on June 26th, Congress amends the Fair Labor Standards Act, further limiting the work week to 40 hours. And then a few months later, the law goes into effect. So that's like the overarching kind of like looking at it. Okay. But to kind of break down the 40 hour work week and how it applies now, which is what I found so interesting is that if you really look at it, the 40 hour work week came out of factory workers mm -hmm. where the number of hours that you're working theoretically is like pretty much directly correlated with your productivity. So the longer that you are at the factory or the mines, or you're doing a printing press, you know, if you're there for more hours doing a printing press, you're going to have more things that have been printed, yeah, right? Yeah. But the thing is, that's not really the case for most jobs now. Yeah. And that's what I think is so interesting is that, you know, there's people who are working in marketing. Actually, most of the people that I know that don't work in either retail or um, we're kind of like in the service industry, your job and what you're executing on is not directly correlated with how much time you spend doing it. Yeah. And that that has not, that's not like a notion that has evolved with time. Yeah. Until recently, kind of, I feel like people are rethinking it now a little bit. I, what I mean is that I think now that people are working from home, mm -hmm. it's like, well, I can step away and you won't know. But I guess some companies have the camera on, right? That you have to be on camera. <gasps> do you know Wait, that? Do people really do that? Yes. No. I was reading that in the New York Times that 
people, some companies, you had to have your camera on and you can only step away for like less than five minutes. Stop it. Which I think is so big brother. You like, come on. Stop it. Don't you hate that? That just, that feels very like babysitty, if that makes sense. When I feel like, don't you trust your employees to get their work done? But then I think that also begs the question of like, what do you want from that? Do you just want to know that your your employee is beholden to to you? Because I, I feel like if people are getting their work done, it'd be one thing if, I mean, I'm not saying that you can like sit there and watch your employees through their web camera if they're not getting their work done. But if they're not getting their work done, then I do think that merits having a conversation of like, hey, how much are you stepping away? Like where your priorities lie? Like, what things are going on in your house that you need to go address, especially in the in the midst of a pandemic. But I feel like in general, I don't know, just the idea that these companies think that, well, you, you should just, you have to be at the office for 40 hours a week. Yeah. And it's like your idea about, I mean, when you're print, like you're using a print press, it's like, one second, there's one done. Two seconds, there's one done. And a lot of work now is like not based on, like you're not just outputting at a solid pace all day. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? That's like what like manufacturing work, that's why it's like really efficient, I guess. But if you're like, I don't know, like making sales, it's not like you can be making a sale like consistently every five minutes for eight hours. Exactly. Well, and I think it's also, I will say, and I don't want to speak to your experience, but I mean, we both work in creative fields Mm -hmm. and my background is in, I've always been lucky enough to work in creative fields outside of when I did work in the service industry, like, you know, prior to starting my career or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so I will say like, I don't, I've never been like a banker on wall street or whatever. I don't really understand that. I'm not going to pretend that I do, but I will say that in all of the jobs that I've had, I have been expected to be in the office for four, regardless of if I have something to do. And I'm yeah. sorry if I'm exposing myself to my employers and you're listening. Like I really tried my best and I do put every effort that I have into the task that I'm doing. But, you know, again, using Red Bull as an example, when I was, I had like a list of tasks that I had to execute on. And then outside of that, yeah, I would brainstorm and I'd try my best to like pick up extra projects and the great thing about Red Bull's workplace was that I was able to, that's actually, I hosted my first thing at Red Bull for their internal newsletter because I was just interested in it. And I had the extra time and my manager was super nurturing in letting me do that. But I mean, if you're somebody who doesn't have extra things you want to pick up, like, what are you, I don't know. Well, yeah, it's so funny. My, so my old job at the gallery, I go in kind of mess around for like an hour, like drinking my coffee and like checking the news. And then I would work for like, honestly, like an hour (laughs) to like, if it's a busy day, like three hours. And then I would honestly be done. Like I would just go on YouTube. As we know, I do that a lot. Go on Wikipedia. I applied for all of my grad school programs while at work, but I had a coworker who ran the gallery next door that the owner also ran so we were like connected Mm -hmm. and she would come over sometimes and talk to me but she was one of those people that was like you know those people that are like I'm so busy I literally have no time like I 
like I can't, I can't even. And, but she had basically the same job that I did. Cause we had to do the same thing just for like our respective galleries. And I was like, are you lying? <laughs> like, <'cause> you, <laughs> like, or are you like really slow at doing this? Because yeah. it does not take that long. And then I, that's why I guess my original rant about this was like, do most people like, I feel like most people don't really have that much work to do, but they act like they do. So it like fills up the day. Well, so yeah. Okay. I think there's two things that I want to unpack that okay. you were talking about. One is that sometimes people just take longer. Yeah. And I think that's totally fine. Like yeah. if you either just work at a slower pace and that's what's comfortable for you, or you just like to take your time. Cause I will admit I'm somebody who am like, go, go. like I almost stress Same. myself out because I'm just like, I want to get these tasks done. And like, I'm so motivated by like finishing tasks that like I get very one track mindy and just like power through things, even though maybe I don't need to. I mean, we just discussed like the tasks that I was doing, especially like to continue the Red Bull example did not take long and I definitely had enough time to finish it. But for some reason it was just like, Oh, I want to get oh, yeah, it done. I'm just the same way. The impending knowing that I have a to-do list just like motivates me to smash things out. And I get some people just aren't like that, which is totally fine. But I wish that workplaces catered to the idea that it's like, if you're outputting high quality work and doing what you need to be done and even going beyond the fact, then like, why do you need to be sitting at your desk just so like somebody feels more comfortable that you're sitting at your desk? I think it's managerial insecurity. It's like, I want maximum efficiency from my employees. And it's like, I'm not going to like interrogate what that means. Yeah, no. Well, so that kind of beckons to the second point, which is this idea that everyone to each other is like, oh my gosh, I'm so busy. Is that, I don't know has everybody bought into this idea? Like maybe none of us actually, or I shouldn't say none because I know people who have incredibly busy jobs and like they legitimately have things to do for eight hours or yeah, more 100%. per day. But is there a large majority of the workforce that is excluding those people? And we all feel like we are supposed to be super busy. And so yeah. we just kind of perform that because it makes us more comfortable. Like, I don't know. I couldn't imagine walking up to my manager, like, sorry, Paul, hopefully you're not listening to this podcast <laughs> at Red Bull and being like, you know, I'm not, I am done with my things three hours in like, see ya. Bye. Or like, is that cool? Like, I don't know that I would want to admit to my, my manager that. Yeah. Cause then it's like, they're going to have me part time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, exactly. Even I think that this speaks to the conversation we're having that I feel kind of uncomfortable being so open that it's like, Oh, I, you know, when like my first job out of college, I like, how long ago was that? I like finished my task really early and kind of just like twiddled my thumbs for the rest <laughs> of the day. Like, why am I so uncomfortable by that? I mean, I'm uncomfortable mentioning it now. And I know that my old boss is not listening to this. No, exactly. But it's I just, funny. it's so interesting. And again, I think that it just beckons this question and you kind of answered it earlier in that life is so different right now that I think it is causing people to examine and re-examine these social norms mm -hmm. or what, you know, our entire lives, you know, 1926 or whatever is when the eight hour work day 40 hour work week came to be, or really came in, you know, mainstream. And so it's always been a part of our lives. And now we have this huge disruption, yeah. AKA COVID. And we're kind of re-examining like, 
what makes sense? What doesn't make sense? And like, my question is like, does the 40 hour work week still make sense? Yeah, I guess it's just different for every job. Mm -hmm. But I think maybe the reason why it stayed strong for so long is it's like a really good uh, equalizing idea, you know? So like, if you have a full-time job, regardless of how much work you technically have to do, like you're giving that much of your life to it than someone else that do you know what I mean? Like, it's like a equalizing thing, but I don't know. Maybe that's not, I just feel like that could get really dicey. So yeah, I don't know this. I feel like I, what I'm about to say is very just like head in the clouds, like yeah. hippy dippy. <laughs> so I, I already know that you don't, I, just played I know that. <laughs> no, you played ankles. You hit oh. me in the ankle, okay. um, which is fine <laughs> if you want to do that. But I feel like, everybody's different. Like that just feels, but everybody is different and everybody's job is so different that it like, doesn't make sense to me to like have this uniform thing that is so rigid and saying like, it, you have to be in the office 40 hours or you need to work 40 hours a week because you know, this other guy in accounting is working 40 hours a week. It's like my job and the job of somebody in, that's so different. Well, yeah, not to, now I'm being self-conscious about my old job that I no longer work at <laughs> that I said I worked three hours, but it was like, I, when I would have to make sales or I'd be at an art fair, it was so stressful. Like I had so much responsibility that the days where it was a lull and I only had to work an hour to three hours. Like I felt like that was fine. I didn't feel bad about it because it balances. Be, yeah. The responsibility balanced itself out based on my responsibilities for, the company or whatever. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's, it's interesting. I hadn't, I grew up with a dad who worked for three hours a day. <laughs> John. Did you know that? Good for John. Well, because when I was young, like really young and before I was born, he worked like all day. Like he worked really hard, like most people. <laughs> he worked really hard. And then he did that so that later in his life, he could just go into the office and like, he basically was his own boss. So he would just mm -hmm. get his shit done and then be like, okay, bye. bye. Yeah. And I loved that. That is a goal in my life is to no, be able to I be in that, that position yeah. because I know that he works really hard and he has a ton of responsibility, but it's not like he's not like chained to the desk. Yeah. I think it's beautiful. I have to say, I really admire Alex because he is so no bullshit when it comes to this kind of stuff. And again, I mean, I don't want to speak too much on Alex's behalf, but he's somebody who like entered the job force at age like 14. So he has been in it much longer than I have. Like he is a seasoned vet when mm -hmm. it comes to understanding like how to yeah. do the things. But he's always been very just like confident in the fact that he's doing what he needs to do. He gets what he needs to get done. He thinks maintaining relationships is very, very important. And so he'll do things like go to lunch with with like, I mean, not necessarily clients, but go to lunch with people who he needs to maintain those relationships or go golfing with them. Or, you know, I remember when he was working a specific job, it was something where and again, his employers have always been very flexible, but I mean like, okay, this is great. Both of us worked at Red Bull at one point. 
Mm -hmm. Oh, so it's like a very one-to-one thing. I mean, we only overlapped by a couple weeks in terms of when we both were there at the same time, but we both worked at Red Bull. It actually was pretty cute. Wait, were you guys together then? Yeah. He like came to my desk. I remember he like came to my desk and we would walk to lunch once a week, but we also tried pretty hard to stay like, did you have to disclose that to HR? Yes. (gasps) We didn't sign anything though. I don't know. I think it's because we were working on such like opposite ends of the, Oh, I see of the, um, but actually we totally weren't. That's fine. There was this one time at Red Bull when I was still at Red Bull. So Alex left Red Bull to go to YouTube and he was a partner manager there and he was, one of his accounts was Red Bull. And I remember I was in this meeting and it was like, Alex was also in the meeting because we were talking to YouTube about some stuff. And like, Alex was just sitting in the background and I was just sitting in the background and it was just like, "Ah, weird. Um, but anyways, where he just, when we were at Red Bull, I feel like I was very like, I need to sit at my desk. I need to be in the office. Like I need to just like, I'm supposed to be here from this time until this time. And that's what I'm going to do. And I'm going to make sure that people see me doing that where Alex was very just like, oh, I finished my stuff. Like I'm going to go take a lunch. And then he'd like, go take a lunch and like leave for a while. And then he'd yeah. come back and then he'd like, Oh, I'm going to go do like this thing in the other building. Cause Red Bull had a bunch of buildings and it was just like, he didn't, I felt like I had to be at my desk where I feel like Alex had this like amount of freedom that he allowed himself. And he's like so good at his job. And I don't know my point I'm rambling, but my point is that I don't think that the number of hours you sit at your desk directly corresponds with how good you are at your job necessarily. Yeah. At least not in the industries, again, in these creative industries and in my experience. Yeah. I mean, I was going to give an example of my boyfriend's job, but that's another creative industry. But he was telling me today he is getting an assistant. I want an assistant. I think is so funny because he works like three hours a day. Wait, what the heck? He gets an assistant? Well, well, and what's interesting about it is that the reason it's like he does work for three hours a day, but what he does is so... Like it takes so much brain power that I think that's why they want to give him an assistant yeah, because it's like, that's great. He, I, I guess I shouldn't say what he does. Cause I'm kind of dunking on his worth ethic. <laughs> <laughs> that's why I'm like confused how to talk about this. I'm like, but, but again, I think that speaks to we he, are so indoctrinated by this. I know. Well, so he does creative output, creative mm-hmm. and intellectual output. He creates a thing mm-hmm. and he also has to, manage something else and so they want to give him an assistant to manage something else because his he has to do the other thing which I think is cool but I just like thought that was funny because I was like wait you don't technically work full-time why do you need an assistant but I mean I think that's great but he's also been doing this since he was like same like Alex like since he was 13 so I guess he deserves that I should have started doing something when I was 13 I know you know, I tried to be a journalist when I was in high school. Did you? Yeah, Bleacher Report. I submitted a bunch of, like, I would submit articles for them to publish. None of them got published. Oh, that's so I was so trying cute. to be a sports journalist. Wow. Yeah, I remember I submitted a piece. The best piece, the piece that, like, I submitted that I felt the best about, and I wish I would have kept it, but it was about Jared Weaver, who was a pitcher for the Angels, and... um I just was so proud of it. And I remember I submitted, I was like, yeah, they're going to publish it. I'm going to be a journalist for a yeah. feature report. And never heard back. Bummer. Would you force your kids to do something that you're like, you'll, 
appreciate this later. <laughs> I think that I hope that I'm the type of parent that, cause I do, I will say my parents were really intense on keeping commitments, but I also am somebody who's really good at keeping commitments now. So I will give them that. But I remember like I played soccer for like 10 ish years and me wanting to quit soccer was like, it was a big event. Yeah. It was an ordeal of like me trying, I think it took, it ended up taking like two years for me to actually quit soccer because every time I would bring it up, it would be this like, Oh no, you don't actually want to quit. Da, 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 da. Yeah. Um, but they gave me so many opportunities that I could try so many different things, which I really appreciated. And I think the thing that I'm going to learn from my experience with how my parents kind of did things was that I hope I can kind of give my kids whenever we have kids the ability to try whatever they want to try stay in it long enough for them to know whether or not they like it mm -hmm. and then decide do you want to keep do doing this or do you want to try something different yeah because I think something that I didn't realize I feel like I, I was a really serious kid in that I was very like I was just intense like mm -hmm. it was like I need to like I'm doing student government. Like I need to build my resume. I need to get a 4.0 when like news, no one, no one cares. <laughs> like literally no one gives a flying like about <laughs> what my extracurriculars were in they, middle school. Oh yeah. True. <laughs> in middle school. In yeah. middle school. Like I remember our middle school did this thing called, it was called like the Iron Man, And it was, if you played a, a varsity sport, every quarter mm -hmm. and I was one of the few who got it seventh and eighth grade wow and I remember this was this thing that I like really pushed myself I hated softball so much <laughs> oh my gosh I love watching baseball I am horrific at softball I not once but twice almost lost a tooth in softball oh I almost lost all four of my front no. teeth by getting <laughs> so I was playing outfield and I lost the ball in the sun and I was so unintuitive that I use the giant glove to block the sun, right? Cause that has more surface area than my hand, but I didn't think about the fact that if my glove is in the air blocking the sun, how the heck am I going to catch the ball? And so I caught it with my freaking mouth. <laughs> and the only reason the doctor, I had braces at the time. And the doctor said the only reason I did not lose all four of my front teeth are because the braces like took the impact so did and they like that energy, braces? all of my braces popped off of my teeth. And oh so then the next God. day I spent the entire day at the orthodontist oh and they had to reapply God. all of my braces. Oh my God, this is the worst. Okay, this is after we finished recording. And basically what happened is I used people's actual names and we have now decided that we are going to respect people's privacy. So that's what's happening now. Okay. I hate that. To make things worse, we're getting deep into embarrassing territory. I don't think he's going to listen to this podcast, but if you're listening to this podcast, you already know that I had a fatty crush on you. So there was this stupid kid that I had a crush on from like third until eighth freaking grade. Whoa. It was, I was in it for the long haul, right? That's like I'm getting hot because I'm so embarrassed to admit that, <laughs> but I was like obsessed with this kid. <laughs> 
And the worst freaking part was he was at the game. So he so he <laughs> sees me get whacked in the face with this ball, and then we have to stop the game because my mouth is a waterfall of blood. Oh, no. And I'm like slowly walking off the field. And in my head, it's like this moment where I like look at him and I'm just like full of blood. He's just like, what is happening? <laughs> so that childhood comment that I have so many stories about. It is just so embarrassing. He I was actually, he was my more. first, he was my first boyfriend. Cute. So I made it guys. But then this is where the trouble started is that. We were, so you, the, it's not. I un, got it. Yeah. Wow. I got, I got the bag wow. <laughs> in sixth grade, but my parents were so strict and I was so stressed out that my parents were going to find out I had a boyfriend <laughs> that I broke up with him. And then immediately was like this guy for like, so too long, and so then the rest of my days of middle school, I lived out wishing that I, that I was with him, but I wasn't. Instead, I dated this other guy who, it, it was one of those Stockholm syndrome things where yeah. I, I don't know about you, but I went to a school that it was the same kids from like kindergarten to eighth grade. And so I feel like you get to a certain point like in around that seventh, eighth grade where you're so, you've been with the, you've seen these people, these same faces yeah. every year and it's like you just kind of convince yourself because you've already liked everyone else. It's like, oh, this guy's cute. Like, let's try him. Let's out. do it here. <laughs> Not do it, but you know, yeah, I'm like, okay. And then I remember this guy. I oh my god, he went to her high school. I dated. Do you remember him? He the played football. Guy? Yes. <gasps> no. <laughs> yeah, and he gave me like this necklace. I feel so bad. He cheated on me. I've been cheated on so many times. Why did this school? happen to me? No, in high school. So we started dating in middle school. I should have learned then, dude, dating people through life transitions. Just don't freaking do you it. You dated him into high school? Yeah. We dated. Wait, you're way taller than him. Yes. Were you at the time? Yes. Oh. I've been this height since I was in fourth grade. <laughs> oh, no, I've been like scary. way too. Yeah. <laughs> I have so many stories about my freakishly early growth spurt. Your braces like dude. blood mass. And the worst part is he was my first like tongue kiss. And I remember I was not ready for it. This is so disgusting. Okay, so I was at this girl's party, right? We had like parties in eighth grade. What is happening? So I was at this girl's party and I had retainers because I had gotten my braces out and I took my retainers out and I left it on her table. Like why, why is that where I'm keeping my braces? Why don't I put it in my pocket? Why don't I put it in freaking napkins? No, my retainers are just, just on, right on the, the table. table. So my retainers are on the table. I leave the party and then I realize, oh no, my retainers are on the table. And so I come back in and I'm like, gotta get these retainers. So I, I secure the retainers and then is there and he's like oh hey and I'm like ah. no. and then he kisses me and he shoves his tongue in my mouth and I freaked out so I, I bite it I just <laughs> chomp down with retainers on I can't remember if they were oh. in my hand or in my mouth but I don't I don't think one or the other option is better and I just chomp down on this kid's tongue was he like Stop. I don't remember because I ran away. I literally <laughs> ran. I ran the other direction, dude. Being in middle school is the worst. I just, it is really the worst. I'm speechless. Oh. What were talking about? Oh, no. Oh, oh childhood. Like, but nobody cares what I did in eighth grade. And to be honest, I, I totally get the merit of like padding your resume and doing a bunch of stuff in high school because there is something to be said about th that 
being important when if you want to go to a four-year university right out of high school. But what I learned is so many people like go to community college and then transfer over. And when you transfer, like, yeah, they look at it, but like, I don't know. I just feel like things aren't as intense as I thought they were when I was in it. Cause I, I took that stuff so seriously. You were like one of the intense kids in high school. I was intense. And I was like, eh, okay. I took it so seriously. I kind of wish I took it more seriously. Interesting. A why is that? A little bit, but also I don't regret my choices. So Wait, but why? Well, because I didn't... So I, I don't know if you knew this. <laughs> I decided junior year of high school, I was going to art school. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that is my decision. I'm doing it. And... To go to art school, they don't really care about your grades. Like, you have to you just don't say. graduate. But, it, you know, you do have to show a portfolio, and that's what's important. There's something else that they care about. Yeah. And so that's all I focused on. And I was in AP class, and I just, like, didn't do the homework. But it was, like, funny because I – not that I did not do the homework. I just, like, wouldn't give it 100%. Do you know yeah. what I mean? If, if I deem something – I mean, this – probably goes back to my idea about the 40 hour work week. But if I deem something, I'm like, you don't need me to do that. I would just not do it. And it was really funny because I didn't actually get in that much trouble. I just got like, I didn't get all A's. Do you know what I mean? But like, I think the teachers were confused because I would get high scores on the test because I'm like, yeah, like I'll study for a test. Like, duh. But I, if they like asked me to do a worksheet, I'd be like, no. <laughs> and I remember. I mean, I, I applaud I, you for seeing that I think so that's, early. Yeah. And that's why I don't know. But so I don't necessarily regret it. But sometimes I, I'm curious what my life would have been like if I would have just like given in 100 percent and tried to go to a university. I wonder what I'd turn out like. Probably not great. I wouldn't be happy. <laughs> I don't know. I, I admire that. Cause I think that that's like saving your energy for things that are worth your, that you deem worth your energy. Because I remember in college, there were a certain number of classes that you could take pass, no pass mm-hmm. or pass fail. And I remember that was just something that I just struggled with so much because I did exercise that right on a few things, but it was like, I'm a really good test taker. And so theoretically, I could just ride out classes by only taking the test. I didn't even have to go to the lectures. And that made me really uncomfortable for some reason. But they were classes that like didn't apply to my major. I didn't really. And this is another thing. I wish that I would have chosen classes that just I was genuinely interested in. I did do that for some, but some of them I just needed to get like, you know, check a box And so I would take these classes, I'd do a pass, no pass, and I would just put in the minimal effort. And I remember sometimes I would catch myself like trying really hard in this class. And I was kind of like, Sydney, what are you doing? Like you are spread so thin in other areas. You do not need to put, you do not need to lose sleep over this class. Yeah. And I think that's great that that's something that you realize early on. Well, I always knew I was a college, like I was born to be in college I just have the mindset even though I didn't really go to real college but I just like I've always kind of understood that like yeah this is the work that really matters and whatever maybe that's because I always knew what I wanted to do since I was Did like you a really? little kid yeah I've always known this is what I wanted I'm so to. envious of you I don't even know that what I want to do now is but I have like crazy imposter syndrome about it because yeah. I still see myself as like when I was seven and I decided I wanted to be a director. <laughs> I want. Did you know I wanted to be a director? I think I did. What what age? Yeah, 
uh like fourth-ish grade third fourth okay. grade I mean, yeah. I used to like make films and whatever. I yeah. have some, I have some goodies. Yeah. Spy's tale <laughs> about being a spy. <laughs> Good. Honestly, I watched one of my old films cause on YouTube, like, cause I was in this film festival and mm-hmm. they posted on YouTube. Oh, like, I remember you- that. Yeah. And I was like, this is not bad. <laughs> Good for you. My stuff but, is bad, but that's because I was in I mean, elementary school. But, um, I didn't really make, I, I collaborated on a lot of stuff in high school, but I think that I was so, this is so sad. I was so convinced that like, I couldn't do it, that I kind of just abandoned it. And it was something that I sort of did for fun when people would ask me yeah. for help. Um, I mean, cause we collaborated, collaborated on a few like films when we were in high school. <laughs> That's really how we became friends yeah. was the iconic film that yeah. someone, um, who shall not be named used yeah. to get into college. Okay. <laughs> uh, but yes. So the 40 hour work week, that's all I have to say about that. And I will leave you with one fact Wait, from I business have, insider. Oh, sorry. I have more questions about yeah, this. Ask the question. So wait, but how does it work for people like the film industry? We work 12 hours. Sorry, Charlie. <laughs> It's probably something where it's like independent contractor. Oh, so that it's, it's like, if you're a full-time employee, you can only work There's 40 hours. so many rules about that kind of stuff. Cause I'm it's sure. also like, you have to take a certain number of breaks after a certain number of hours. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And like after I believe 40 hours of the work week, you have to be making overtime. And I wouldn't be surprised if like in laws, it's specified that like overtime is time and a half. Oh, I see. Okay. So there's like a lot, I mean, it's a lot more complicated than what I just talked about, but there is a lot of legislation to protect employees and workers. I see. Okay. Great. Next question. That was kind of my only question. That's your only question. Which was selfish because I'm like, wait, but what about me? (laughs) See, but that's another thing. I'm, I want to defend myself because I sound like a really lazy person and I only want to work three hours a day. That's not it. That's why I'm getting into the film industry because I like working for long hours in spurts. Do you know what I mean? I'm the same way. It's like, I'll work 12 hours for like 14 days and then I'll take a month off. That sounds great to me. Yeah. You know, I was thinking more like 12 hours for four days and then have a three day weekend. But yeah. And potato, potato. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, like, I don't know. People maybe don't know me or you don't know Kate, but like, I think people know I'm a really hard worker. I'm not really worried about that. I am worried about my employers thinking I'm ripping them off. I swear (laughs) I'm giving you my best work. I'm doing my best. Like Red Bull. I gave it my all. (laughs) Do you want (laughs) to? I'll go now. So this week it's a little... It doesn't relate to yours, but um, it's about lost films. Ooh, okay. So I'm specifically going to be talking about lost films from the early 20th century. Yeah. Because um, we don't have enough time to get into all of it. But I'm so excited about this. Alex is super passionate about, about lost film. Yeah, but lost so media. Yeah. Interesting. I got a lot of this info from the Smithsonian Magazine, mm-hmm. which I'm a big fan of. Like all of my research always comes from Smithsonian Magazine. Oh, interesting. I really like their well, when I lived at my parents, I really liked their TV station. They have a TV station? Yeah, Smithsonian. Mm-hmm. In the summer Is that two- somebody's last name? 
It's the Smithsonian Institute in D.C. No, I mean, I understand that. I'm asking if Smithsonian is somebody's last name. We should do an episode about that. Yeah. Or is it just like Smith and Dysonian mean something? Should I just debunk it right now? Can you hear me debunking? It's from the British scientist James Smithsonian. Oh, okay. There we go. Okay. Great. So the more you know. Is this guy. In the summer of 2017, Christopher Bird, a director, editor, and longtime film collector, made the ultimate discovery a complete silent film that had been lost, thought lost forever. And he's quoted as saying, it's like having an original Monet painting. And he found this film called Diplomatic Harry, which is from 1915, that was made by a popular American comedy duo, Mr. and Mrs. Sidney Drew. <gasps> me. That's your name. Wow. It wasn't me, though. I didn't do it. <laughs> In case there was confusion. Um, they were a husband and wife duo that often shared writing and directing duties. Mm-hmm. Diplomatic Harry, this film he found, was characteristic of their filmmaking style, which didn't rely on slapstick or stunts, but just focused on everyday domestic situations. This movie was an early feminist movie mm-hmm. because, like I said, Mrs. Sidney Drew helped write and direct it, which is crazy. 1915. Isn't that so cool? Christopher Bird, the guy that found it, has a quote saying, not only does it have a slightly feminist slant, but this film was possibly co-written and directed by its leading lady at a time when women didn't even have the right to vote, which I think is rad. So anyways, he found this movie. Uh, Where'd he find it? Does it say? It does not say. (laughs) <laughs> I'll take it. Okay. He found the movie. He I'm found satisfied. this movie. During the silent movie era from 1895 to 1929, um, going to the movies was, everyone did it. It was a national pastime. Um, there's I miss the over movies. So, Sorry, so keep going. bad. There's over 10,000 features made by major studios from 1895. 18- 95 to 1929, which is so many movies. 10,000 movies? How many movies... Do we know, like, how many movies are made from, like, the same period of time, but counting backwards from 2020? Like, what's, like, a normal amount of movies? I mean, that sounds like way more movies than what happens now, but I just... Okay, so according to IMDb, since 1900, there's been an average of 2,500 films produced each year around the world. Back then, that's a lot of movies. Because that was, like, when it first came out. This is a was new that medium. in Hollywood or was that in, like, worldwide? It doesn't say. Okay. I'm assuming this is a Western slant. Yeah. Um, it was really exciting. Movies coming out all the time. Everyone's going to the movies. But here's the thing. These movies were released on nitrate film. Do you know about this? I do, but enlighten me. Okay. Nitrate film is extremely dangerously flammable and susceptible to decay and even more flammable as it deteriorates. And if film film deteriorates really easily because it's, you know, yeah. So if it's just not kept in the right temperature or the right humidity, it'll deteriorate. One time I bought an old movie on eBay when I was in art school there's this thing called vinegar syndrome. When a film print goes bad, it smells like the most disgusting vinegar scent of all time. And I opened it in the studios and it smelled so bad. Everyone started freaking out and they evacuated the school. Stop it. Stop it. Because of your vinegar. But I pretended like I didn't know it was me. I was like, yeah, it does smell really bad. It smelled bad the entire time I've been here. And then I just threw it in a dumpster. 
Wait, wasn't that like flammable? It wasn't. It wasn't a nitrate film. It just smelled Smelled really really bad. bad. Okay. Um, I hope that wasn't a lost movie, and I threw away the lost last copy. (gasps) You're part of the problem. (gasps) That That reminds me, though. So in first grade, I do you know what Vix is? Like vapor rub. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I didn't realize not everybody does this. Wait, what is your use case for Vix? What do you do with it? My mom used to put it on my chest when I was sick. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I used to put it we would put it under our noses when you were like stuffed up or whatever. And Mm -hmm. I remember I went to class. I was in first grade and I brought it with me because I was kind of stuffed up. And so I took it out and I put it under my nose. And then like the teacher walked by, I was like, it smells like dirty feet in here. And I remember being like, Oh, it's my fix. (laughs) And I just remember being so self-conscious because I was like, Oh no, I'm in the classroom. They're going to know, but they didn't know how to, or maybe they didn't know and they didn't say anything to me. But Vix doesn't smell like feet. It smells like I didn't think so either. Mint, doesn't it? So, like we were saying, nitrate film, not archival, not the best. So we can it be sorry, can it be preserved? Like if it is in those very specific conditions, yes. theoretically we're doing fine. Or yes. like eventually, even in those conditions, will it disintegrate? It'll survive. Okay. It's just, you have to be very intentional. Yeah. You have to be very careful with it. So while the exact number of films lost is unknown, um, a study commissioned by the library of Congress ballparks that the surviving number is around 14%, which is so low. That's so low. So what I thought before I researched this was the, most of the cause of lost films was because of the nitrate film, disintegrating and catching on fire and mm-hmm. all this stuff. I'll talk to you about certain studio fires that happened where they lost like all of their inventory of movies. Oy. But actually something I learned was that the largest cause of silent film loss was intentional destruction. Oh, wow. So before the era of television and home movies, films were viewed as having little future value when their theatrical run ended, which is so interesting. They would just get rid of them. Silent films after the talkies came out, were also perceived as worthless. So they were like, eh, we don't need these. We can talk now. This film preservationist, Robert A. Harris, said, quote, most of the early films did not survive because of wholesale junking by the studios. There's no thought of ever saving these films. They were simply, they simply needed vault space and the materials were expensive to house. So... The studios could earn money by recycling the film for their silver content because you know how silver is used in black and white. Um, And Technicolor were thrown out because the studios wouldn't reclaim their film. So they were like, all right, just get rid of it. Just so crazy. Wow. Um, And a lot of these Technicolor were also cut up into short segments that were used for hand-cranked, movie projector toys have you what? ever seen those yeah yeah so they would just like go Your to little, the studio little johnny yeah and they would just wow. souvenir crazy and uh, there's also stories of if i don't know if you i like love in the 20s the drama in the studios because you know how stars were i mean not even the this went past the 20s but the 20s was like when it peaked mm-hmm. was when stars were on could only be attached to certain studios they were like owned by yeah. a studio yeah so if a star did something scandalous the studio like 
swooped in and spun stories and there's all these crazy crazy stories about this mm-hmm. happening but Did you know jamie lee curtis uh like started her i mean grant her parents were like really famous but um started her career like in one of as in like one of those talent funnels for a studio I mean, that's the story of Judy Garland. That's why Wait, this is so the second sad. time we've talked about Jamie Lee Curtis. Is this we a Jamie talked, Lee Curtis We podcast? talked about her last week, or like a couple of weeks ago. Sorry, continue. I'll, I will confirm or deny what I just said once I find it. Well, anyways, there was this big drama in the 20s. I'm not going to get into it. But this guy named Fatty Arbuckle, who was this famous comedy star, basically ended up in a hotel room with a dead woman and it was very scandalous obviously and so he basically got canceled wait so ended up he didn't kill her he basically had a party in a hotel room in san francisco and this woman came and she died a day later from some medical issue that was attributed to their partying and this is like in the 20s where there still were a lot of ideas of decency and people would get really upset I mean, you shouldn't be in rooms with dead people. Like, I don't know. <laughs> but anyways, that this seems guy... like a good, a good thing. Okay. So I'm just going to say it. I can't find, I don't know where I got that information, but <laughs> it's not freaking true. So don't listen to me. It's not true. Or at least I can, fi- I have no idea where I okay. got that information. Well, but she is, <laughs> she's the godmother of Jake Gyllenhaal. So is she really? According to IMDb. I didn't know that. Yeah. I don't know why I'm going so into this guy. Anyways, he basically got canceled and they destroyed all his movies. So they destroyed a lot of his movies. Some of them still exist, but um, that's an example of their intentional destruction of movies. However, there also were three major fires um, in Hollywood at different studios that also account for a lot of loss of nitrate films. One was at Universal in 1924, the next one was the 1932 Box Vault Fire. Okay. And that actually was the big one of the biggest ones. They lost pretty much their entire catalog. That's um, when was that? Sorry, remind me of 1937. The year? That's like their entire catalog? Pretty much their entire catalog, which is crazy. Wow. And then Do you think they were upset? How do you think the they people reacted? died? Oh man. One person died from this one, I think. Oh, I mean, that's really sad. I, I, the way I said that made it sound like it's not, that is really sad. Yeah. I'm asking though, I just wonder like, what is the next day at work like after that? After you lose everything, bef- like all yeah, they of your lost archival films. Almost every silent film wow. produced by the Fox Film Corporation before 1932. So that's only, what, four years earlier? Oh, that sucks. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I don't know where you, what you're just like, it's gone. That's what's so, that's what I think to me is so crazy about this is like, we're so, obs- we think that everything is so permanent now. And like, even, cause it kind of is, you know, like I got back on my Tumblr after five years of being off of it and it was all there. Yeah. You know? And like these huge movies that got made they're just gone we'll never see them yeah it's nuts so because i don't want to derail us too much but i would just like to to like pose the question that is it a new thing that we are obsessed with 
archiving the past or keeping the past and like the idea of things staying in the past is uncomfortable because it, it clearly sounds like there, it was not a priority of these studios to keep these films yeah. so that a next generation can see it or thinking about like, how do we preserve this? How are we making our mark in history? That doesn't seem like anything that was in anyone who's making big decisions brains. But I wonder if it's, if it's simply that movies were so new that, and they were kind of pulp, right? Like they weren't considered fine art. But I, th- I feel like, and gosh, I'm just making things up today. Hopefully I'm not making this up. Correct me <laughs> if I'm wrong. But I feel like I've read things about like artists back in the day painting over their art to reuse their canvases. That's true. Yeah. Right. And in my head, I remember when I read that, when I, whenever it was that I read that, it was kind of like, oh my, you wouldn't save, like you're yeah. some great artist. Why you wouldn't save that? But I, I feel like, I don't know, is it a new thing that we as a society are obsessed with saving and collecting and archiving and like having these vast libraries of the past or creating a, a vast library so that the future can have kind of like bookmarks of the past? I'm not saying what it's good one yeah, way or the know. other, but I'm just curious, is this a new thing? It's so interesting. Maybe it's because we not, nothing is quite as tangible anymore so that's why we're like let's make things tangible do you know what i mean no because the internet is like intangible okay and that's where we like store abstract. a lot of our things do you know about the internet archive no oh my god it's so cool that we could do another episode about that but the internet archive is this place in san francisco where they literally archive the internet and there's like huge it's so cool it's in an old church and they have huge stacks of hard drives that is just, they go through the internet and they archive all of it. And you can go online to the Wayback Machine yeah. and you can look oh, up. Oh, is that that's how what, that yeah. works? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. We should definitely, yeah. We could revisit that. I've in more been depth. there, so I have firsthand experience. Oh, man. Okay, sorry. So continue. That seems like a sociology question that yeah. I'm going to think about. And maybe next week I'll come back with more insight. But I don't know. So... And this, these are studio films. So if studio films are getting lost this fast, can you imagine the independent movies that are getting made? They're lost. Don't right? even. Yeah. So independent films, especially those made by people of color, uh, very few copies existed even in the day because of the extreme cost of copies. Mm-hmm. That and also the movies would literally just be like misplaced. Someone would just lay it over there. This is so funny. One movie called The Unknown from 1927 was thought to be lost because the title on the film was being read as literally unknown. <laughs> and so and so they just like they didn't they lost it. Unknown. What's really cool is our guy Martin Scorsese made a film foundation that is really interested in finding movies and preserving them. But his foundation projects that uh, 90% of American films made before 1929 are lost, um, which is sad. Yeah, I've heard (laughs) that that before. It's why that's an astounding number. So what's really sad is that a lot of these lost films, not only it's like we, there's all these movies that are being made that we have no idea what they were. We will never be able to see them, but they're also we don't have an opportunity to see historical figures 
that were being recorded. Like there was reports that we had uh, footage of Sir Ar- Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, like the guy that wrote Sherlock Holmes, Teddy Roosevelt. We had that on film, film. and wow. they're we just, gone. Not anymore. Sad. But so a good thing though that happens is people how I started this out is people find movies that we thought were lost and we find them and it's very exciting and like I've said I go to USC film school and I took an archiving class last semester um Mm -hmm. because there is an amazing archive at USC that no one talks about it's called the Hugh Hefner moving image archive and it's underneath the theater oh I did know that I've been there oh you did Mm -hmm. So I took a class with the archivist named Dino. He's a cool, like, punk guy who's also an archivist. And um, he's really, his big passion is silent movies. He was, he goes on eBay all the time and just buys film canisters. That's cool. If people's like, oh, I have this reel. I don't know what it is because I don't have a way to project it. And the USC Film Archive has all these different projectors they can, and scanners, and they can make anything viewable. And so he bought a film canister that someone had in their attic that they didn't know what it was or they thought it was something else. And so he watched it and he was like, okay. And then at the end of it, there is this other film and it's called something good. The kiss it's from 1898. And what it is is the first depiction of African-Americans kissing on camera. And it is so beautiful. Wow. And that no one knew this existed and he restored it and it looks amazing. It's like 15 seconds long, but this was just them recording people. It's not like a big studio production. So you get to see how people were really acting and it's so modern seeming. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's so beautiful. Do you want me to show it to you? Yeah. Okay. Isn't that so cute? Yeah. Wow. It's, it is like bizarre because it feels so modern. Yeah. Like it really does. And I think it's like almost really beautiful to see that it's like not much has changed mm-hmm. in terms of like our core and existing as like beings, just existing and be as beings, right? Like they didn't have the internet. They didn't have computers. Like they didn't have, I don't know, West Elm. Yeah. Sorry. I was like looking at things in my house. Um, as I say, they didn't have blankets. They probably had blankets, but like, it's cool to see that like these innate human experiences, like connecting with somebody and kissing with somebody and joy. And like, those things are such a constant. Yeah. That's wow. That's really cool. Yeah. So that's kind of where I'm going to end. I mean, okay. there, there's a lot more lost films past the silent era, mm-hmm. but that's really where, I mean, that's what I'm the super interested stuff. in because yeah. it was so the film industry was thriving and there were so many different types of movies coming out. I mean, they lost like the first horror movies called London After Midnight. It was destroyed in the 1965 fire. Wasn't it really common that these studios were like catching fire relatively frequently? Because I feel like I read something that that's why they all have water towers. Yeah, it was because of, well, probably it was the nitrate film, which is like gunpowder. And then also the lights are super hot super hot and for context for people who are like film i don't understand it catches on fire if you've ever watched um inglorious bastards Mm -hmm. and at the yeah yeah i don't know can i is it too early to do spoilers i don't know at one point in the film a bunch of stuff 
lights on fire, a bunch of film, nitrate film lights on fire. Um, and so that's a very good example, visual, if you're a visual learner like me, that's a good visual example of like nitrate film. It's flammable. This is just a little film nerdy, but, um, What's crazy is, uh, so Technicolor came out and Technicolor is the coolest thing ever. I wish we still did it. Mm -hmm. Do you know what it is? It's the camera was recording three strips of film at the same time. It records three different color channels and then it projects it. It all, it projects three different films and they're all layered on top of each other. And that's what makes the Technicolor image. And they're essentially made like a black and white negative so they've technicolor prints have lasted through time so you can watch a technicolor print that was made in the 1940s and it still looks amazing that's why um the wizard of oz looks so good and so bright i don't like that movie do you not i don't sorry that's (laughs) but i'm sure it does look good i just don't like it why Eh, i don't know you're over it i just don't care i don't know i don't like it I, like, don't have a real reason for not liking it. I just don't really care. Like, okay, what's her name? Dory? Dorothy? I love The Wizard of Oz. Oh, sorry. I just, <laughs> it's okay. I don't know. I'm just, like, not into it. And I think that the the tin guy and the lion and stuff, they have the same kind of uncanny valley effect for me as, like, the recent Cats movie. Oh, okay, where I, just, sure. I don't really want to look at them. I mean, so. do you know how obsessed I am with the recent Cats movie? No, we've never, I've never, I haven't seen it. Movie night. Wait, there's one thing I wanted to say oh, yeah. about this. So Technicolor film, amazing. We love it. It lasted through time. It's archival. Then this other process came and this is horrible. I don't know the exact name, but essentially, you know how all those photos from the seventies are orange. Mm-hmm. It's because it's, there was this type of process and I should know the name, but essentially it's not archival. And so as it ages, it turns orange and essentially disintegrates and you can't watch it anymore. And a lot of movies from the 60s and the 70s were shot on that type of film. And so if it's not a major studio movie, it is probably shit now. Like you can't watch it. And USC, the film archive at USC has a bunch of those movies. We were going through all these like old NASA educational movies and they're all bright magenta bright orange because they were used on this film stock that isn't archival and then kodak finally came out with a color safe film and that's what we still use people still shoot on 35 millimeter so couldn't they theoretically like i'm surprised there's no way to kind of like recolor yeah or like do like a negative of i don't know i feel like isn't there a way to like copy it and well it's no, because it's like the entire thing, the entire, you would have to do frame by frame, essentially, or shot by shot. I guess you technically could, but it's really hard. I don't know. When I worked at a photo gallery, they had a bunch of prints from the 60s and 70s that they had to put in a refrigerator and they could never exhibit because they were all orange. Interesting. So I was, gosh, I'm a lot. Um, I will fully admit this is a wives tale hearsay, if you will. Cause I just tried to do some light half-ass internet research to see if I could find some like substantial articles about what I'm about to say. And I couldn't, 
Um, but I've heard it before from a few people. Again, take this with a grain of salt. I can't find any proof okay. of it right this very second. But so the Star Wars films, the original trilogy, mm-hmm. basically that the film for that was lost at one point. Yeah. Oh, so you have heard this. Yeah. That it was lost at one point. So when they wanted to make the 4K version, they couldn't because they didn't have the original film and they ended up finding some fan in like South America or something that had a version of it. And that's actually what they used to make them into 4k because Disney slash Lucasfilms didn't have the original prints. Yeah. It's crazy. Oh, so that would, that that is real. That's real. Yeah. Okay. I couldn't find it anywhere. I was trying to find, I wanted to make sure that I had all the facts correct. Yeah. I don't know the exact facts, but I heard that too. Um, do you also know that the sound of the lightsaber was based on a projector at USC? Ben Burt, who is the sound designer of Star Wars, he was a projectionist in the film school because they all went there. And the way the projector sounded made this weird swishing sound. And so when they were making Star Wars, and Star Wars was like such a revolutionary film in sound design specifically because he created he had to create like an entire universe of sounds, which hadn't really been done before. He remembered that projector and went back to school and recorded it. And that's I the lightsaber. That. And it's in the archive. And when I was in this class, he like turned it on and showed us. And it sounds like the lightsaber. That's so cool. Anyways, that's really cool. I, okay. I mean, obviously we both love film. I think that if you've listened to this far <sighs> into the podcast, you might've figured that out. But I just, uh, Like, even just you pointing out that he created an entire universe of sound. Like, it's just, oh, it's so cool. Like, what film is and what it is for people, what it is for creativity, that it's just create, like, man, I'm doing a poor job of articulating myself, but it's really something to, that I think, I don't know about you, but I definitely take for granted the fact that it's like, think about how accessible watching a movie is Mm -hmm. for us right now. Like there's Netflix, there's Hulu, everything's being streamed. You have DVDs, you have Blu-rays, everything plays a DVD and a Blu-ray, except for my MacBook that doesn't have a freaking disc drive. We hate that. And I actually have a disc drive for it. Like do you have an USB one? one? I got it because dashboard confessional my favorite dashboard confessional album isn't on any streaming service so i had to buy it off of amazon so that i could manually like download them so i could listen to it every time i think of dashboard confessional i think of literally your dashboard in your car in high school my dashboard yeah because you loved them so much and i never really listened to them but i just remember i like think about your car and you had that the your audi oh okay and you had that like big switch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The big thing in the middle. So that's what I think about. That's so funny. I thought you were going to say, because at one point we were both driving kind of like our parents' car sort of a thing. Oh, yeah. And they were both convertibles. Oh. You're driving with our parents' cars. I was driving my convertible Jaguar. <laughs> oh, and you are in your Mercedes. And they were really old and unreliable. Because <laughs> that's what happens with luxury cars. Oh, man. <laughs> um, we were very, very fortunate. But I just remember we were driving up to L.A. and we were taking one of our cars. And I can't remember who had car troubles or if both of us had car troubles. But I just remember it being this thing. And I specifically remember the parking lot that we were having this, like, bad time at. It was your car. It was my car. I th- 
didn't we stop at your dad's warehouse or something? I don't remember. Something, whatever happened, I just remember we had this issue and we were driving up to LA and we were going to the Silver Lake Jamboree. Was that what it was called? <gasps> yes. Um, and everybody was high. We weren't high. Yeah. But because they drug tested at our school, we couldn't get high. <laughs> um, and plus it was illegal. <laughs> um, and I just remember like everyone at this thing was high and we were just so incredibly not high. Yeah. And it was just very, I mean, I had a good time and there was this really good place that isn't there anymore that gave, you know how people give you like dinner rolls? Yeah. Like restaurants, not people. I mean, I don't know, maybe people who you're at their house, they make dinner rolls, but this restaurant has dinner rolls, but they didn't have dinner rolls. They had coffee cake. Do you remember this? And it was Good Wait, it was cake. that place on Sunset, right? Yeah, it was on Sunset in Silver I Lake. I went to that place so much K in squared. high school. When we would co- go... No, wait, maybe not. Wasn't it called like K-squared or something? It was something squared, but it's not there anymore. And I remember, because by the time I moved to LA, I like specifically... I've never lived in Silver Lake, but I specifically went to Silver Lake to go to this place, and it was heart-shattering. It was like kind of bohemian-looking. Was the building red? Yes. Yes, okay, Oh my God. I think about that place all the time. Cause I kind of live, I live over there now yeah. and I drive past all the time and I'm like, I know exactly where that building is now and it's not yeah. there. So no, sad. it's not there. There's a cool cafe. The last time I was over there again, we never go over there cause Alex doesn't really care for Silver Lake. Don't like to hang I out love Silver Lake and I hate hanging out with you. So I just <laughs> never go. I'm like, if I'm in at the end of the episode. Thanks so much for watching. You can find me Sid So Good anywhere. Don't forget new episodes on Fridays. And please, please, please leave a review if you like it. Don't leave a review if you don't. <laughs> but you didn't hear it from me. Kate, where can we find you? Um, that right back here next week. What do you know? You gotta tune in. See you later. Bye. Bye.